Hello, this is Missouri Speaks Social Work, a podcast that explores what it's like to be a social worker in the Show Me State. This is your host, Aaron Crossley, and I am a social worker in Missouri. In this episode, we are going to take a look at the NASW Missouri Chapter's legislative agenda. I'm going to sit down with Jessica Petrie, who is the NASW Missouri Chapter's lobbyist, uh, Mark Nichols, our executive director, Deanna Dinwiddle, who is an MSW intern with the NASW Missouri Chapter, and Sarah Owsley, our Advocacy Committee Chairwoman, along with Heather Bradley-Geary, who is the Chapter's President. The legislative session got off to quite a start in January, and there's a lot on the line that affects us as social workers and those that we serve, from voting rights to work requirements for public benefits, to Medicaid funding, to even the ballot initiative process, there's a lot going on. And so they're going to help us understand how we can advocate as social workers for those we serve throughout this session of the Missouri legislature. In today's episode, we are going to explore what's on the horizon for the legislative session of 2022 here in Missouri, especially from the perspective of the NASW Missouri chapter and how it affects social workers around the state. And today I'm really excited about the panelists we have just because they bring such diverse perspectives to the field and to practice. And um, today I'm going to let uh, each one introduce themselves. We're not going to go around and do the normal how you became a social worker story because some of them you've heard before. And we just have a lot of panelists and I don't want to fill up our entire episode. Um, although I'm sure they each have wonderful stories to share. So uh, Jessica, would you take, take us away and introduce yourself and your role with the NASW Missouri chapter, please? Sure, I will go first in the slot of shame since I'm the only one on this call who's not a social worker. Uh, no shame. I wouldn't have a very good story for how I became one. Uh, well, my name is Jessica Petrie. I work at a lobbying firm called Winton Policy Group here in Jefferson City. And we have the pleasure of working with NASW Missouri chapter uh, in Missouri state government. So we get to be your hands and feet in the Capitol uh, working to monitor, support, and oppose priority legislation as directed uh, by NASW. And so it's a real pleasure to get to talk about the upcoming legislative session. Thanks so much. Mark, why don't you take us away next? Sure, thank you. Um, so my name is Mark Nichols. I have the honor of serving as the executive director of your National Association of Social Workers, Missouri chapter. I've actually been a social worker for 10 years. I've been an NASW uh, staff member at the Nevada chapter, at the national office, and now at the Missouri chapter for 22 years. Um, I got my MSW from UNLV while I was executive director of that chapter. And so that's, that's pretty much my story. Great. Thanks so much. Deanna, would you introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, I'm Deanna Dinwiddie. I am the NASW Missouri Chapter Social Work Intern this year. I'm an MSW student at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and I've been um, working on the Advocacy Committee as well as other committees with the Missouri NASW Chapter. Thank you, Deanna. Deanna also is working behind the scenes this semester on helping to produce this podcast. So 
credit to uh, where credit is due. And last but not least, Sarah. Yeah, hi, I'm Sarah Owsley. I'm the Policy and Advocacy Director for Empower Missouri. We're an anti-poverty uh, policy advocacy organization in our state. I think that's all you needed for me. Oh, and I'm the co-chair of the, uh, oh, maybe I'm the chair of the Advocacy Committee for NASW, Missouri. Yeah, yeah I mean, you can be whatever you want with that. All right, uh, Jessica, first off, how does, and, and Mark, you can speak to this too, how does uh, the NSW Missouri chapter, how do they decide what the legislative priorities are for the year and what to watch out for? Well, I think I'll kick that to Mark and Deanna to start about how they set those Great. kind of broad parameters that Great. guide us. And then I can talk a little bit about how we identify specific bills that may be of interest. Cool. So I'll start off just by saying that it, generally we look at NASW's policy statements or policy core beliefs, core values, look at the what the profession-related issues are anticipated and develop logical priorities from those. This year, uh, Deanna initiated a survey, and I'll let her uh, talk about that. Very cool. Yeah, so... One of the first things I did in my practicum was I um, worked to develop a survey that we sent out. It was just a short 10 question survey, just trying to get a feel for where the social workers of Missouri's NASW were wanting to focus their advocacy for this coming session. We had several responses. We got a, a, a great turnout for that survey. We touched on topics as far as healthcare. We wanted to look at you know how how we could rate um, child and family legislative topics, as well as criminal justice. We looked closely at civil rights and anti-bias related legislative topics. No. Um, and then we also um, discussed some licensure and professional legislative topics that may, be, may affect social workers in the near future. And then we just kind of left some open-ended questions trying to figure out if there were any other places where um, Missouri social workers were wanting to focus their advocacy. Um, and then we just kind of took those responses and we've narrowed them down um, right. to about five five legislative topics. Very cool. How, how many people, how many social workers filled out that survey about? We had 48 responses. Ah, um, so great. I was pretty impressed with that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super. So I can just speak a little bit to how we look at specific legislative issues um, that NASW is going oh. to to monitor. So once we got, once we get our marching orders, which are uh, based on, you know, core social work values, as well as the direction from the advocacy committee, which like Deanna and Mark talked about this year, was informed um, by that survey, then we have our general parameters of, all right, here are the big buckets of things that we're going to look at. For example, oh. behavioral health was one of the biggest things that, that rose to the top right. in terms of the survey, investments in behavioral health. And then we, as we look through bills, we look for pieces of legislation and opportunities and policies that intersect with those priorities, either things that are going to be extremely problematic, mm -hmm. things that run counter to those priorities, or things that support and enhance um, those priorities. Since we're in the Capitol every day, the legislature's in session and talking to legislators and staff throughout the year, we also have a really good sense, even before bills are filed, of what are going to be the major issues coming up in the legislative session? What do we need to keep our eye on? 
and where are their opportunities? Some years, if you think about it, we have 2,000 bills filed every year and probably 120 to 150 passed. So the vast majority of things aren't going to get through. So one of our key jobs, and I, in addition to just identifying, all right, here are the bills that interact with our priorities, is okay, where is it most strategic to focus our time and our effort, especially when it comes to something like Advocacy Day, where people are going to take a day out of their lives to come to the Capitol? Where, what levers can we pull? What issues can we talk about to make the most difference? Because we see, all right, here's a real opportunity. This is something, the timing's right. We need to go ahead and get behind that. Very cool. Thank you for that, Jessica. That's helpful. You get those priorities from, from us. You, you monitor those bills. Is there, is there a way to kind of forecast where to spend the, to prioritize your time? Is it usually pretty easy to figure out, okay, these bills have no chance of passing. So we're going to, uh, to kind of just let them die off by themselves. Is there anything that's kind of helps you key in on, okay, these are bills that actually have a chance one way or the other. You know, we can look at if 30 people sponsored an issue compared to one person sponsored sure. an issue, right? That's a really clear clue that that's something right. that's getting a lot of buzz behind it. What's the press paying attention to? What are people writing op-eds about? Uh, when you just talk to people in the hall and say, hey, what are you working on this year? What What's their number one priority that comes to mind? Another thing that's, you know, really helpful for us is to pay attention to interim hearings news we hear over the interim, announcements from the governor or from departments about big challenges the state is facing. Just as one simple example, over the interim, we've heard uh, from the Department of Mental Health several times, as well as from provider groups, as well as from legislators, that there is a lack of placements in the community for individuals with severe behavioral health needs. Uh, the state closed down a lot of residential facilities a long time ago, and the pendulum is swung to the point where we lack sufficient placements for individuals. And so that's something that we think is going to be a big deal this year, because we've heard about it the whole year from all kinds of stakeholders. So it's a little bit of putting the puzzle pieces together in terms of sure. what people are talking about. And the more people are talking about it in different sectors, generally that means that it's a, enough of a problem that people are paying attention to, that hopefully something, you know, it's something that it's going to get traction on. Uh, but thankfully, nobody ever scores our predictions because, you know, it's never something we bat a thousand <laughs> on. Uh, I, sometimes I think even legislators are surprised by, you know, what becomes the big issues and what doesn't make it across the finish line. It's, it's definitely not something that you can say with a lot of certainty. We dangerously put out session previews in writing, which we shouldn't do. We can't go back and, you know, be like, oh, no, we didn't say right. that was going to happen. But, you know, we do our best and we revise that throughout the legislative session. We get a better and better view of what's moving the further we move through that process. Great. What do, what do you think this session has in store as far as things that everybody can agree on, no matter what side of the aisle they're on, as it pertains to social work, what do you think has a, a good chance of making it across the finish line? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. And I think one of those areas is investments in behavioral health. Mm. Uh, we talked, and I mentioned the community placements issue, that's something the Department of Mental Health is requesting 
uh, money in their budget for, but it goes much beyond that. And so I I might just tee this up a little bit by talking about some of the budget issues that are impacting the state, because I think that's important context. So as you all, I'm sure, are well aware, the American Rescue Plan passed earlier this year and sends unprecedented amounts of money. All told, Missouri state and local government is expected to receive about $5 billion over two years. This is money we're likely not going to see again, uh, at least for the next decade or two. And there really is an understanding in the legislature and in the administration This is a once in a lifetime opportunity and we need to do something with this and we need to make sure that it matters. Now, Mm -hmm. does everyone's definition of doing something that matters match? No, that's why we have 197 voices uh, in the legislature, plus the executive branch, plus numerous groups uh, in ASW included who have their own vision of what doing something that matters means. But there is a general consensus that, right, this is an opportunity and we need to make it count. And I think that is, is something that is going to consume a lot of time and oxygen this year is allocating the first tranche of state aid, which is $1.3 billion, uh, with, a, with a B. Uh, so <laughs> Thank you for I, clarifying I like that. This a small <laughs> part of that. Um, and that's not even including the money that came down for elementary and secondary education specifically. 700 million to support childcare providers. Wow. I mean, this is a lot of money that creates opportunities in a lot of different areas. And I, I, I set that up to say behavioral health is an area where there does seem to be substantial agreement that this is a place Missouri should prioritize in investing our ARPA dollars. Mm. Um, I would say broadband is another area where everybody is coming together in terms of you can't talk to a legislator about ARPA without them prioritizing broadband. And that actually is really important because it sets up so many other pieces in terms of enabling people to access healthcare via telehealth, educational opportunities remotely, um, even 911 infrastructure, which we'll talk about more in behavioral health, relies on broadband. And we have some areas in the state that can't rely on on adequate broadband coverage. Um, Another area that has pretty broad consensus is IT investment. In virtually every department relies on antiquated systems, outdated processes, a lot of paper. And so getting to this, what our, our chief information officer called like the Domino's experience, right? Making it as easy as ordering a pizza, or a lot of people refer to it as the Amazon experience. Uh, making state government easier to interact with for citizens, updating our IT infrastructure. Um, that's a really big lift and something that, you know, takes a lot because the state is really behind in these kinds of investments. Uh, but it makes a substantial difference, whether you're talking about access to reliable public health data, uh, making it easier for people to apply for public assistance and not having to enter information multiple times for different programs, maybe coming up with a consolidated portal uh, for individuals to apply for the benefits that they need, Uh, making it easier for child care providers to communicate with the state and their licensure. Uh, Maybe you just want to start a new business and you don't want to go through five different departments to get your business license. You want to go through a unified portal. 
there are innumerable use cases, but that's something that I think is getting a lot of attention. And so we can, you know, we can talk a little bit more about behavioral health later on when we start to go through our priorities. But right. I would say those are three areas where I would say there's pretty good consensus among many legislators. That's great. Yeah, the internet isn't isn't any longer a niche novelty that is just there for good measure if people want to use it. It's the expectation and really the necessity a lot of times for people that can't get out of the house to uh, go fill out a bunch of paperwork if they have kids or if they have a job. And uh, that's that's great to hear. Sarah, as chair of the advocacy committee, what what do you have as uh, on the horizon for this session as, as far as what's under your purview? Yeah, absolutely. Jessica is totally right about um, the state needing to upgrade a lot of their and their uh, records are not streamlined online. So that's something particularly that uh, I have an interest in and I'm kind of keeping a close eye on. So I'm excited to see that um, as far as not just mental health investments, as Jess has explained, but housing, uh, general health care. Very cool. Before we move into our discussion on the priorities in particular for this session. Mark, I wonder if you could talk about, you know, in your role as executive director, you kind of have to manage the two different processes uh, between advocacy and lobbying and, you know, kind of work all that out from an organizational perspective. So I wonder if you could kind of give our listeners kind of your understanding of what it means to be a lobbyist versus being an advocate. Absolutely. Um, one of the one of the ways that uh, that we look at it is is our advocacy effort is um, is more the strategy, which is driven by our NASW code of ethics, driven by the uh, the values and principles of uh, of the social work profession, and the uh, three hundred and fifty page uh, social work speaks um, document that we sure. have that outlines um, the profession's uh, positions on a wide range of both professional related issues and also social justice issues. So that becomes then more the strategy, what we are working mm-hmm. toward. And we have in our toolkit, a variety of, uh, of approaches to that. One of which, and probably the, the most visible of which is our legislative lobbying effort that takes place each and every legislative session. There's a quote that uh, strategy without tactics, uh, and and we look at lobbying as being one of the tactics uh, to implement our strategy, Uh, but strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before the defeat. (laughs) Um, So it it, it really, uh, and that quote is like 2,500 years old. but it's, it really helps put the, the focus on, on the work and, and where the legislative, um, the, the legislative lobbying efforts and priorities and, and all the work that goes into that, how it fits into a much broader strategy of having social work values be more integrated into, uh, into society, into our state and into our country. Great. That's that's super helpful. So is it fair to say that then when you think of kind of the advocacy being your strategy, it's really, that's really what what encapsulates your more long-term goal for what you would want to see in Missouri. And the lobbying that happens every session is more the 
what helps build the incremental change to that long-term strategy and goal. Is that a fair way to sum up what you just said? Precisely. It's, okay. uh, it's climbing that hill um, and you don't, you don't climb uh, Mount Everest in two hours. Right. You, you take it step by step, but you're constantly keeping in vision what your goal is. And that's those, uh, our, those core values and principles of our profession. Thank you. That, yeah, that's super helpful. If I tried to climb Mount Everest, I wouldn't make it at all. So uh, I'll have to think of a different analogy that helps me out personally. Thank you. All right, let's move on to the priorities for this session. Let's, let's line those out. What are, what, are, what, are, what are the priorities, Jessica? Yeah, so we have a few priorities and what we're gonna tick through is certainly not comprehensive. And the other thing, to note about any legislative uh, agenda is that it is always subject to change. Uh, tomorrow, a bill could be filed that becomes our number one priority for the year, or an amendment could be offered <laughs> mid-March that suddenly <laughs> takes up all of our time and effort. And you know, these, these things don't often happen uh, for NASW specifically because generally. Uh, we follow issues that are a little bit easier to gauge, but you just never know. Right. And anything could happen. And so, you know, when we talk about these issues, it always has to come with the caveat that we might be talking about a totally set of different, a totally <laughs> different set of issues, or at least a different set of bill numbers come March, which is our midway point in the legislative session. But we wanted to talk about kind of our, our key areas. And again, this is certainly not comprehensive, but would be behavioral health, criminal justice, human rights and equity, and anti-poverty initiatives. This also doesn't take into account uh, some of the longer-term voter engagement work that I know the Advocacy Committee is, is working on. That falls into, a, you know, that's more of what Mark was talking about, the longer-term strategy, building grassroots capacity, more than what we're doing day in and day out in the legislative session lobbying. But I know that was one of the priorities the advocacy committee identified for its long-term grassroots work. But those are the four kind of legislative areas that we identified as not only priorities, but also areas of, of real opportunity for us to work on this year. Great. And we can talk a little bit more about the specifics of those. And Sarah is well acquainted with all of those as well. So we're happy to go more in depth about whatever you think would be helpful. Yeah. Uh, welcome, Heather, by the way. Thanks for... Yes, I apologize for being late. Thank you for hosting the podcast. No problem. From the top. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Start with behavioral health. Yeah, absolutely. And Sarah, please jump in to, you know, set me straight where, I, where I'm wrong or where we have additional details to add. Um, so behavioral health, we could talk about a lot of things in this bucket, especially when it comes to investments. Um, in ARPA. I think there are going to be several projects that the legislature is interested in funding for behavioral health, but uh, one really significant one that I, I think is, is going to be of interest long-term is the implementation of 988. So 988 was designated by the FCC as the new national um, number for individuals with suicidal ideation or in behavioral health crisis to call. And the goal is to have something short, memorable, easy to dial, like we have 911, now we're gonna have 988. Uh, so you don't have to remember a 1-800 number. 
uh, one of the leaders on this issue who works for a behavioral health provider uh, made the point that we tell people, you know, if you're in crisis and it's a Tuesday and you're wearing a blue shirt, you need to call this number. But if it's Wednesday and your shoes are wet, you need to call this number, right? Not easy in that moment where somebody really needs help to remember. And so the hope is, and this, this is going to go live July 2022, this is nationwide. Uh, so anybody, wherever they are, will be able to dial 988 and get connected. Uh, now, the, the real challenge for Missouri, and I think more than a challenge, the real opportunity, is building out what happens when that individual calls 988. Uh, so these calls are going to be answered in Missouri. They're going to be connected to somebody who might refer them to services, who might engage in some de-escalation techniques, whatever is appropriate for that call. But there are three real, I think, goals and opportunities that correspond with 988. And I think the first one, we'll see some funding requests this session. And I think this is a place where NASW um, has some real opportunities to be supportive and work in a coalition of behavioral health providers and other healthcare groups to pursue these aims. Uh, and that is, that first of all, Missouri needs the money for uh, the call line infrastructure, right? Setting up what it's gonna take to implement 988. And we expect there to be a funding request for that uh, likely in January. And there are ancillary funding items that go along with that that would be needed in order to make it effective. Uh, one of the problems I thought was most interesting, they had a group of 911 and 988 providers together. Um, because as you can imagine, we really want 911 and 988 to be coordinated right. um, and not to be two silos that have nothing to do with each other. Because it's possible someone will call 911 who perhaps needs 988. Sure. Maybe someone calls 988 that needs 911, right? So. The, the goal is to have these groups kind of talking to each other and planning through what that means. And that's in pretty early stages. This is complicated. This is not simple to figure out. Right. Um, the, the public safety answering point technology, the 911 technology is way over my head. Um, so we'll just suffice, suffice it to say that it's important. It matters. Uh, but one of the challenges is for a lot of the state, we don't have accurate location data. So hmm. there are some places in Missouri, you can't call 911. You have to remember to call the sheriff's office. Someone will write it down on a piece of paper. Really? And then, yeah. Isn't that I had no idea. Calling? Yeah. And it's, it's places like there are some um, areas with campgrounds and some tourist destinations where you might come from. I live in Cole County. I have 911 service. If I went there. I would have no idea that I needed to call the sheriff's office. I would uh -huh. call 911 and it wouldn't be available. Um, My so mind is that gone. is separate from, <laughs> right? The things you learn. Um, <laughs> and so there was one of the challenges for both 911 and 988 is that in a lot of the state, we don't have accurate location data. Mm. And so funding to do an accurate location study, so we have GIS data for the whole state, would help. 10 point calls for 911. So right. if you do call 911 and you can't give your exact location, they can find you. And the same thing would be true for 988. We would want that same capability, um, especially when it comes to goal number two for 988, which is a little longer term. And that would be mobile response units. So maybe someone calls 988 and just a three minute conversation with whoever answers the phone isn't sufficient. Maybe a behavioral health provider 
needs to go to that person where they're at to help them. Uh, maybe they're going to refer them to long-term services. Maybe they're going to help them where they're at. Whatever the case may be, this opens up real opportunities for behavioral health providers to connect with individuals in need when and where they're most in crisis. In some rural areas, that may mean law enforcement goes out with an iPad where a social worker or somebody mm. else is digitally connected um, if there's not a social worker within driving distance. This could take mm. numerous forms, but that's kind of a longer-term goal of 988. That's something that's that fun. really aligns with NASW's priorities. And the third is funding for more crisis stabilization centers in the state. Missouri, Missouri already funds 12 of these. Um, this is a place where if someone is in behavioral health crisis, maybe they're in active addiction, they're able to go and be stabilized and connected to longer-term services. Without these centers or something akin to this crisis response infrastructure, when somebody's in behavioral health crisis, you know who generally gets called? The police. And they take them to jail or they take them to a hospital emergency department. The person doesn't get help. They interact needlessly with the law enforcement, the, the criminal justice system, and they're not getting help. So the whole thing repeats itself, and they're trapped in this vicious cycle. And so all of these crisis response opportunities provide a point where maybe we can break that cycle, and we can really connect this person to the ongoing services, mental health treatment, whatever array of right. services that individual needs to break that cycle. So this is a really long-term goal, but anything we do on 988 and crisis infrastructure is really setting us up for a much longer-term approach to building out a better response to how we deal with individuals in behavioral health crisis. That's great. It really is putting some investment where it's been needed for a long time and we're finally starting to get that in place. That's exciting. Sarah, do you have anything to add? Um, not really. We, um, in our behavioral health priorities, we talked a little bit about um, some prohibiting of uh, proponents of domestic violence from being able to own guns. Right. Um, I think that that's likely a bill that's going to move forward this legislative session. Right. So it'll be helpful for NASW to be engaged there and to have social workers who are ready to talk about why that's important. Very cool. Thank you. All right, Jessica, what's next? piece we can all be we can all be proud of. And so how are we gonna fix it? To increase that age from 12 to 14. So the minimum age to be certified as an adult. That's not saying that every 14 year old is going to be tried as an adult, right? This is just saying the absolute minimum age where you can go through the certification process. Um, and Sarah, I know this is a space you work in a lot. So please add more add more color commentary to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'd like to see that age raise. There's really no data that supports that charging even 18 year olds as adults is actually appropriate. Um, and most of the data really shows that we're looking at early 20s before we really can consider that. Um, I think it's very unlikely Missouri is going to look that hard at the data, however, but it will be helpful to have it no longer be uh, such a young age. Um, it is worth noting this is a relatively rare process for such young children, um, and they do still have to, you know, go to a court of law, and uh, somebody has to put up information that shows that they really understood the gravity of the crimes that they had committed or are accused of committing. Uh -huh. But uh, I think that even having this um, on our uh, the, on our records is just a terrible idea. 
um, and am looking forward to changing it. Um, another thing that we have on our uh, agenda for the criminal justice space is prison nurseries. Um, there, that is a space where we can make some pretty significant impact for generations with some of these ARP funds, um, because the biggest issue with setting up prison nurseries in Missouri is just that it's expensive to build one, right? We have to take what are currently cells for adult offenders and change them around to be, you know, a welcoming space right. for babies and, and young kids. Um, so um, hopefully we will be able to do that this legislative session, be able to pass the bill and set aside some money to make the um, uh, capital improvements that are required to run that program. Uh, there's lots of information that shows that these kids uh, fare so much better being with their parent for up to 18 months. Moms do better. They are less likely to re-offend. Forward step for them. Super. All right. We've covered criminal justice reform. Is that all that's on the docket for that? There are certainly more, but yeah. I think those are, those are kind of the highlights. Um, and under human rights and equity, one of the biggest issues we'll be watching is again, uh, MONA or the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act to prohibit yes. discrimination based on sexual orientation uh -huh. or gender identity. Uh, this is something Senator Razor from Kansas City has again, as well as Representative Shemet Dogan um, filed that. Representative Tom Hannigan from St. Charles was a, a strong champion on this issue. Um, unfortunately, he passed away this year. And so Representative Dogan has taken up that mantle for his friend and colleague um, and sponsored that bill again. So that's certainly something NASW will strongly, will strongly support. Uh, we'll also sponsor legislation to prohibit discrimination on hair texture or protective hairstyles in educational institutions. This is Missouri's variation of the Crown Act. So we got the opportunity to testify on, I think, three different versions of that bill last year, and we'll be supportive again this year. And then again, we're going we're gonna to see a range of bills targeting transgender youth. Um, last year, there were bills that would prohibit uh, gender-affirming medical care, also prohibitions on participating in youth sports um, that have again been filed. And so that's, of course, something that NASW um, will watch very closely. Sarah, what else on this? Many things. Um, I think critical race theory, the banning of critical race theory is mm -hmm, likely to be an mm -hmm. issue that moves forward that NASW would uh, be in opposition for, of course. Um, just a reminder that critical race theory is not something we teach to kids anyway. So banning 12 education uh, really is not in a deuce um, that uh, actual being taught to folks, but instead, well, there's a way to talk to kids about race that is not race theory that could be stopped uh, if we critical race theory ban, and uh, that would be really harmful to our kids in our state and to furthering equity. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Mark here. Jessica, um, one of the issues that comes up uh, really across the country is the uh, conversion therapy. And um, I know a number of uh, a number of my colleagues have had successes in their states of uh, prohibiting and banning uh, um, conversion therapy. Uh, what is the likelihood of that being a introduced and b heard and c passed in uh, Missouri this session? Well, it has been filed um, by Senator Lauren Arthur, who um, also carried the legislation last year. Uh, she's also from the Kansas City area. Uh, in the past, it's something that struggled to get a hearing, and I think we'll continue 
to see that. I think part of it is a competition for time and attention, even if people perhaps on its face value understand or, you know, don't have strong opposition to the concept, we're going to have, for a host of reasons, a really crowded session this year. And it's, it's, going to be a little bit of a slower start for a lot of these bills. And so I think something like that is going to have uh, probably an uphill path again this year. I would love to be proved wrong, um, but I, I would say that that's got a pretty tough journey ahead of it. Um, but Lauren Arthur continues to file that and to be a great champion on that issue. Members should be encouraged across the state that lots of municipalities and regions are banning yeah. conversion therapy right. uh, in their local communities. And so there's always an opportunity for regional advocacy in the city or town that you live in to be able to move that uh, right. forward there. All right, Jessica, what's next on the list? All right. So then um, well, we have a pretty broad bucket of anti-poverty and strengthening families and communities. And, and this encompasses a host. Of, of legislative issues from opposing more stringent work requirements for uh, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Some versions filed last year would have. On that point, um, I was going to mention that um, we often hear things like there are food banks in our community that can help us meet the needs. So um, punishing you know, household providers who are not choosing to work, um, we're hopeful. <laughs> No rest, no resting right now. But SNAP is, is a critical resource as well. Um, so, and, and there's a range of food. I think food security is, remains an important issue. COVID really yeah. didn't cause a hunger crisis, but it really exacerbated an underlying right. hunger crisis that's been going on for a long time um, in our communities. But I think it became a lot more visible for most people after COVID. And so we'll, we'll again see a range of pieces of legislation on urban agriculture, community gardens, mm. perhaps tax credits for grocery stores and food deserts. There might be some ARPA dollars invested. Oh. So that's, that's something that we'll keep a close eye on for opportunities. And another interesting bill um, that has kind of a long-term vision is child development accounts. Um, so this is, again, a really interesting coalition of healthcare groups and child welfare providers and uh, social groups working together. And this bill would create child development accounts seeded with $100 for every child born or adopted in Missouri. And this would theoretically sit alongside if, if the child, if their family created one, the 529 account. And so eventually the child development account could be used for post-secondary expenses. Uh, but the real goal is not just the $100, yes, you invested, it grows over sure. time. But the real goal is that if you set up families with this resource right away, it encourages them to start thinking about post-secondary opportunities, mm. whether that's training or that community college or higher education is a real opportunity for them, uh, even if no one perhaps in their family, if they might be uh. a first-generation person to go on to attend post-secondary education. And it encourages families and gives them sort of a, an incentive to also start a 529 account and to start investing in that early if they're able to, because the child development account is not going to cover all of your expenses. Right. But if we encourage and incent families to create those 529 accounts as well, um, research has shown really interesting long-term outcomes uh, for, for that program. 
that's a, that's so really that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super innovative. And I had never heard of those before. So I, I love that idea and can't wait to dig in, to dig in more. So people have had their minds blown and they've been energized by what they've heard in all of this that we've heard today, because there's a lot of work to be done. Sarah and Deanne, I know you've done a lot of work on the advocacy day that's coming up on March 1st. How can people get involved and uh, be ready to advocate on the state level for all of these important priorities? Yeah, absolutely. Connect to NASW, become a member, join us um, as we talk about these bills. Jessica joins us a couple of times a month to really go over what has happened in the Capitol. Where are the bills that we care about and where are there spaces for social workers in our state to uh, advocate on those? And staying connected to us is, is easy and um super beneficial for the folks that you work with. I'm going to start putting updates on our Facebook page, NASW awesome. Missouri's chapter Facebook page, to try to keep our members up to date as they're on there as well, as soon as we start seeing stuff moving through the session. So for our advocacy day on March 1st, we'll have a training a week before so that we can all be prepared to have the bills in hand that we'll be advocating for. We'll even, unlike last year where we had to do all virtual, we, we right. do hope to be at the Capitol this year. So we'll have constituents talking to their representatives um, and advocating for those bills that will be moving through. Yes, absolutely. I am really excited for us to be back in person. I just think there's something so beneficial about Agreed. speaking to real life people and being <laughs> in the building and watching the process unfold. Um, I think often folks feel like sort of separated from the lawmaking process or separated from the Missouri legislature. And it yeah. really is relatively accessible and folks should be um, excited and, um, uh, you know, all kinds of um, keyed up uh, to join us in person. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, I see my state legislators and of course I'm a nerd, so I know who my state legislators are and what they look like, but I, I see them at the grocery store and I see them, you know, when I'm out in the community at different events and, the more that you engage with them in person, the more that they get to know you and want to hear from you because, and they're only the experts in the fields that they come from. And so a lot of them aren't, aren't familiar with things that social workers concern themselves with, but they're, they're voting on. And so it's important that we yield our own expertise and not be afraid to share it, not, not be afraid to know that we are the experts on so many different aspects of things that impact people's lives. So I will be sure to include a link in the show Aaron? notes to how you can get involved more with the Advocacy Day. Yes, Mark. If I can expand on, uh, on, on that very point, you, you earlier asked what, what can uh, somebody who's all inspired by this conversation do to uh, to engage, um, and I think you you touched on perhaps the most important thing, and that is that develop that personal relationship, uh, professional relationship uh, with your legislator. Know who they are, know right. uh, what their background is, so you can start yes. building uh, that human relationship. I had a legislator um, at a forum be asked, "How many people do we have to get to contact you?" to change your vote or convince you to vote in the, in the direction that we would like you to. And her response was one, it has to be the right person. I have to already know them and, mm -hmm. and understand them to have expertise uh, in that area and that I trust their perspective on the issue. 
But if you can get that one person with that relationship with their legislator contacting, um, in her case, me directly (laughs) and giving me a cohesive argument for changing my position on it, you have a much better chance than my receiving 4,000 emails all saying the very same thing. Right. Uh, that your your point was is very well taken and something that we should really emphasize um, as a as part of that that tactic, one of the the tools to uh, influence public policy. Great, great, great way to to frame that. And Aaron, I don't know if we mentioned this. I apologize, but uh-huh. March March first is Advocacy Day, and February twenty fifth will be the training. Okay. So for those of you listening, uh, please mark your calendars for that. Great. And Heather, you didn't get to introduce yourself at the beginning. So that was Heather Bradley-Geary, the president of the NASW of Missouri chapter speaking. So thank you for that, that reminder. All right. Any last thoughts before we wrap up this robust conversation from today. I think we have our marching orders. We have work to do. Go ahead, Mark, wrap us up. It's not only in our best interest to uh, as social workers to influence public policy. It's in the best interest of our client. One of the one of the things that I we routinely hear from social workers is the, about the barriers and the walls uh, that prohibit their clients from getting from from point A where they're at to point B where they want to be. And we can in some cases we can do that and frequently it is a public policy that, that creates that wall. And as social workers, we can have influence the removal of that wall or the installation of a door so that they can get from point A to point B. And so not only is it in your self-interest, your client's self-interest, but it's also, uh, if you read your NASW Code of Ethics, Section 6 uh, of the Code of Ethics, it is our obligation, our ethical duty to use the political systems, the legislative systems to, uh, to improve the lives of our clients. Great reminder. Sometimes it seems like in Missouri, we're just working on lowering the wall a little bit, even if we can't get rid of it completely. So thank you so much uh, to each of you for being here today. I really appreciate the work that each of you do and the way that you help remove barriers for... Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. I'm looking forward to seeing all of you down in Jefferson City advocating for our profession and advocating for those that we serve. You may have noticed that we took quite a long hiatus between the last episode and this episode. We actually have a few more already recorded, so you can expect to see them more regularly in the future. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode.